save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Was mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht, kommen dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Game Pressing. Yeah, we're back. Um, it should be an interesting show, a little bit of a shorter show this week. Um, simply because I have to go off and run and see. I'm going to head to Vancouver and uh, catch a Canucks game tonight. So like early day for me. But like, yeah, um, it will be an interesting episode, a good episode, I promise. Um, we have lots to discuss. A very short time to do it, so I'm going to bring in Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well. Spring is here, so, you know, my mood is happier. I'm in a good place, and uh, yeah, let's get stuck into it. You say spring is here, so, like, that's true, um, and it was all last week, and like even, like, this weekend, but this morning, I got up really early to get a workout in after a very excessive Bunny's birthday party. Um <laughs> And it snowed. And oh, really? on top of that, while I was on my stationary bike inside watching the snow, I saw a couple of raccoons walk past me um, <laughs> playing in the snow. Um, it's now cleared up in sunshine and back to spring. But yeah, I guess winter just said a brief hello. Um, so I hope <laughs> yeah, that's, it, that's it. I hope that's it. Yeah. I'm done with winter. <laughs> right now it's sunny here, but it's still very cold. So... It's a little misleading when you're in your house and you walk outside. You're like, okay, I still need a jacket, but I'll yeah. take that over the gloomy nights. Yes, uh, and longer days and all that. Um, we had, and I think it was actually a really interesting week. And what I think we're doing today um, is sort of like a compare and contrast. And I want to talk about uh, the three big ones in Germany. Um, we were also in European action, right? Um, and that's Bayern, Dortmund, and Leipzig. And I think only one of the three had a satisfactory performance in Europe. Um, but all three were excellent in the Bundesliga. I mean, Bayern Munich, um, let's start with them. Because how surprised were you about their performance in Salzburg? I think we kind of predicted exactly that sort of game last week, didn't we, when we talked about it? And I'm actually going to go out here and say Bayern Munich only have one real centre-back and he's leaving at the end of the season. Would that be a brutal statement to make? No, I don't think so. Um, it's something we've spoke about quite a lot already this season. Um, mm. I've spoke about it quite a lot myself, particularly, and I feel like I'm like a broken record right now. But... It's really interesting the kind of noise around the club right now. Lothar Matthäus was very critical. Yeah. Didi Haman was also very critical, I think. Um, 
after the Salzburg game, and he basically said something similar, whereby, you know, Nicolas Sula is basically the best central defender they have, and they're letting him go. Uh, it's really interesting how the debate has led to, because I think it was maybe Mateus who basically said, you could you could take you could you could draw a line all the way back to signing Hernandez and the money that costs and the wages that led to, and how this has just led to one chain reaction after another because it's basically completely changed Bayern Munich's wage structure. Um, and, you know, the club have spent the last three or four seasons trying to juggle defenders and fit them into certain positions. And we're now in a position now this season where Julian Nagelsmann has Hernandez, he has Upamecano, he has Nicolas Sula, and he has Benjamin Pavard. And as I've said in previous shows, you've maybe you've got two genuine proven central defenders in there. I mean, I know Hernandez says he's a, he's a central defender and he has played that role before he moved to Bayern Munich, but at Bayern Munich, he's kind of moved between a number of positions, as has Pavard. Um, but Upamecano has struggled, although he did play a very good through ball uh, for one of the goals this uh, at the weekend. Uh, but he has struggled. Right. Yes, of course. He's played, he struggled defensively um, and they've now got, they're probably going to bring in at least one more defender this summer to to replace Sula. And I think that was, again, still the issue um, this weekend, or not even this weekend, this past week. Um, mm. Salzburg really did tear Bayern Munich apart at times. You predicted it, you said it was happening. Uh, but I think anyone who's boxed Bayern Munich would happily say the same thing, that it is inevitable that they were going to concede in Austria. And even going into the fourth game, I was, we were talking about it beforehand, saying I, was, mm. I said that that's not a very strong starting eleven for Bayern Munich by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And, I mean, if, if Greuther Furtz are scoring against you, that just kind of goes to show uh, how bad things can get right now. I mean, obviously Bayern had more than enough firepower to go and win the game, but it's an issue that hasn't been fixed yet. <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, um, I find it interesting that the whole Ryan Gravenberg rumor, it breaks just around the time when Julian Nagelsmann is making noise about the lack of signings and, you know, not having enough often enough options. Um, you look at the squad and, you know, the Salzburg game I thought was quite telling in, in many ways how dependent they are on Manuel Neuer to fix sort of like paint over a lot of the cracks that this defense has because like I would actually argue Manuel Neuer is Bayern Munich's second best center back um, the way he plays, right? And when he's not there, that's a, that's a huge issue for this club. And... Salzburg showed it. I mean, Sven Ulreich, again, he's not to blame. He's just not the keep. He's just not Manuel Neuer. He's just not the guy that will, you know, occupy the same space. Um, and that is like, okay, well, that is going to get fixed because eventually Manuel Neuer will recover from his knee surgery and be back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end of the day, so like, I think they're going to get past Salzburg and then Neuer will be back right um, and that will help them a bit but I don't think you're going to win the Champions League with this defense hmm. it's just not going to happen you know like there will be other teams out there that will expose you um, 
And that's a that's a big problem. And the other problem that they have is honestly, like when Goretzka isn't there, and this is I think why the Ryan Grafenberg rumor is so interesting. Because like Tuliso is a completely different player. He can't really replace Goretzka. Um Sabitzer has been a shadow of his former self. Mm. I'm actually quite certain that they're going to move on from him. Um and so it makes sense that they're looking at a player like Ryan Grafenberg, who was like was projected to be a similar-ish player. I did an article for Forbes on it during the week, right? To, to Paul Pogba. So like yeah. they, there was like words like well, Nagelsmann's teams, uh, I can't really think it was Justin Kraft who, who tweeted this, uh, critically treated this, um, saying that Bayern Munich. Um, are looking into like maybe turning Musiala into the next Thiago for the short term because like I, I and he said the same thing. I don't think that's actually gonna work. Um, he's just not that sort of player. So like, so they're looking for a guy who's basically holding together the glue, right? And huh. I find it telling that Ryan Gravenberg is like that breaks that story breaks uh, around this sort of time and. I think that's probably going to be just one of many pieces that they will have to bring in to sort of put it put it all back together. And so that's one guy. And then I think they probably need two defenders as well, just based on the performances that we've seen in recent weeks. Hmm. Do you know, it's, it's really interesting because with Bayern Munich, we take their dominance and we take their um, you know superiority for granted in a German context, but... If you kind of look at how they've been successful in Europe over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, it's actually depended on them outthinking other big clubs because they don't mm. spend the same wages, they don't spend the same on transfer fees. And so you could probably argue that their success in, in the Champions League basically depends on the club outthinking their rivals in England and Spain and Italy uh, and building a squad and a team that can challenge for the Champions League at probably maybe a tenth of the price that Chelsea or Liverpool or Manchester City are willing to spend. And I think the concern for Bayern Munich here is, if you look at their transfer policies over the last three or four seasons, or five seasons, or basically since Salihamovic has came in and started calling the shots, you have to seriously question whether that's the case. Because I know, now look, I know they've reached the Champions League final, obviously the best team in Europe, what, two seasons ago. But the speed with which that team has kind of fallen apart and the struggles that the team, the club have had in, in replacing those players and in keeping a coherent squad together is really quite remarkable when you consider the sheer number of players who, who, who will now leave for free in that period of time. Boateng, mm. Alaba, Nicolas Sula... Um, Hummels before you know, that. Hummels before that. Um, there's still a lot of noise around Lewandowski. Mm. Um, and then you kind of look at the players that they have brought in. I mean, Opa Meccano was was kind of was, was was celebrated as this huge success in the transfer market. But now twelve months on, it now looks as if they overpaid for him. So and he wasn't exactly the most, you know, um what's the word? He wasn't the most you know, long-term 
extremely scouted. I don't know the best word to put it, but it wasn't as if he was someone that they plucked from nowhere. You know, he wasn't a Guardiola, for example, at Leipzig or something like that. He was was a player who was right in front of them all season and they decided just to pay the maximum amount. You know, so it wasn't smart. It wasn't smart moves in the transfer window at all. Sabitzer wasn't a smart move either. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that um, Bayern Munich are only going to challenge for the Champions League if they can outsmart their rivals in the transfer window. And I don't really think they're doing that right now. Um, And it could be why this defence is a mess right now, but it could be something that that kind of goes on to, you know, have some sort of impact on the wider squad uh, down the line. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. The Amazon um, documentary on Bayern is interesting because there's a scene where, like... Hassan Salihamidzic asked Oliver Kahn for more money. We need more money. Like we need money to buy more players. Um, <clears throat> is it brutal of me to say that the only signing that Salihamidzic has made that actually worked out is Alfonso Davies? When you take a dollar for dollar spend, like, or euro for euro spend, or pound for pound spend, because like. He turned out to be a world class player for very, very little money. Mm. And you put that in contrast with guys like Rocker, Hernandez, mm. Omar Richards, Bunasar, mm. um, Nyansu. None of these guys have worked out. Right? Leroy Sani is technically work. He, he, you could argue he will go on to become a be considered a bargain because they got him for so little but right but that was luck uh, yeah because like, they were those, willing to spend 100 million euros the year before yeah and i mean if i'm not mistaken there was actually quite a lot of discussion and back and forth over davies as, as to whether they would sign him or not but mm. um yeah it's if you look through the signings the last two or three seasons it's it's mostly failures rather than success stories um which is yeah. really interesting. So it's 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 something that's going to be really interesting going into the summer transfer window because I think Bayern will have to probably spend quite a lot of money on a number of positions, and whereas I don't think Bayern fans are maybe questioning questioning Nagelsmann right now, um, and they may not be questioning Oliver Kahn because he's obviously been there uh, for a while, they may be questioning Salihamovic and his plans, and I mm. think. That's why we've seen him get very defensive over the last couple of weeks. When someone like Lothar Mateus makes a makes a comment on Sky or Sport Science or whatever it is, uh, it seems they, these these pundits seem to be really hitting a nerve when they question the business that's been done by the club in the last couple of years. And you have to remember, nothing is forever. Like Juventus, Juventus was in the same position that they were, and. Um made that very questionable signing with Ronaldo where they spent a lot of money mm-hmm. and yes he scored a lot of goals for them but ultimately it did not actually address the needs of the club did it and it was a big gamble and didn't work out and now they're like in complete rebuild like we're thinking like this is going to last forever but it might not like Lewandowski if he leaves and with Manuel Neuer or what if he's out for like another year for something else mm-hmm. all of a sudden this team doesn't have very many world class players anymore and, you know, one day Dortmund will actually get their act together, um, which is probably a good transition. <laughs> <laughs> because, 
what the heck? <laughs> how how do you go from losing four two to to Glasgow Rangers or just Rangers? Um, mm. And like, I know you're Scottish, and this is no disrespect, but like that's just it cannot happen. It cannot happen. If you're the second best team in the Bundesliga with the amount of money you have, you cannot lose 4-2. And it's not just that they lost 4-2. It could have been worse. Mm. Right? It's that 4-2 could have easily also be a 6-1. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's I think this is where I'm really like they were lucky to get the result that they got. And it, they go from that to absolutely dismantling Borussia Mönchengladbach. And if you're new to this podcast, uh, Borussia and Borussia Dortmund and Borussia Mönchengladbach, those are like two different like, towns. They're not rivals. Um, they just both be named Borussia, which is the Latin word for Prussia. Um, that's what that region was. It was West Prussia, right? Anyways, um, what? Like, let's let's start with the, that Rangers game. Like, there was a 60-minute stretch in that game where if I'm like Hans-Joachim Watzke, Michael Zorg, like I would fire the head coach based on that alone. Yeah, and there were stories that um, I think Sky reported that there was yeah. a crisis meeting, which Fatska denied the next day. And But you could completely understand why they would, because the nature of that defeat was so bad that as I was watching that game, I thought, these players aren't trying anymore. It's it, you know, when you get when it gets to result that bad, where it seems like nobody is really making an effort to try and fix things, um, and that's when you started to really question whether Rosa still had the kind of the confidence of the of the of the dressing room after that match, uh, tactically, because it wasn't even really a tactical thing. Because I actually thought Rosa actually probably made the right move by keeping Fitzel on the side, um, tried to stay more mm. defensive, but. It's 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 a it's a it's it's a, it's obviously a huge concern. You know, you, you get like a Zagadou yell car or handball or he's performing. I, I, I don't even know where to start with it because it was so long ago and it was a, it was a game. There's a game played since then where most of these players played quite well. But you know, you could you could you could seriously question the the intent of the players. I think uh, you know we we kind of talked about where the Europa League should be a serious concern for. Dortmund, but it's exactly what we saw in the Champions League this season, mm. and it's really interesting because Ikai Gundogan was, he did an interview with, uh, I think it was Sport Eins this week, uh, I was after the Champions League games, and he was asked about Dortmund, and he said that at times at Dortmund, it's almost as if there is a kind of sense that, you know, there's an inferiority complex that comes over them where they question whether they're good enough to challenge a certain level. And I think he was talking in regards to challenging Bayern Munich in the league title. Right. But I actually think you could apply that to the Champions League and to European football in general. Now I don't I don't think Rangers I don't think Rangers are a club that, you know, strikes fear into the hearts of Dortmund players, but it certainly seemed to be the case in the Europa League or the Champions League when they were getting undone not just by very good teams in Ajax, but also Sporting Lisbon who with all due respect, Portuguese football are a very average European side in the grand scheme of things, as are Rangers. So there's something meant. There is something kind of um, mental going on. There's a mental block there, which doesn't seem to be the case in the Bundesliga. 
because we've seen this team time and time and time again just get the job done. And I wonder if there's a kind of familiar familiarity or a comfort to the Bundesliga that these players know where they stand, they know how to beat these teams, they know just about what to do to get over the line. Um, you know, and, and, and it doesn't seem to be the case in European football. Hmm. Maybe maybe that's why we see Marco Royce do so well against Gladbach but not do so well, or uh, a Julian Brandt. Uh, or a Mats Hummels or something. I don't know. I'm really not sure where it is, but I think that Rangers result really showed how um, error-prone this this team are defensively, which we've talked about all season long. But like Bayern, they're going to have to spend a lot of money in the window. I don't think Niklas Sula is going to be enough. Um, But it's, it's... it, it's really interesting. I think they were very, very fortunate that they were playing Gladbach. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe finish yeah. on that note because Gladbach are, well, Dortmund rather, are Gladbach's bogey team. Um, just like how Gladbach are Bayern's bogey team. It's a kind of weird kind of triangle, love triangle we have here at the top of German football. Uh, Dortmund never beat Bayern. Bayern never beat Gladbach. Gladbach never beat Dortmund. That's like a, a quick introduction to German football for you. Um but yeah, it's very interesting. It'd be interesting to see how the, how things go from here on in because despite that bizarre performance, they're still technically could go on and probably challenge Rangers in the second leg mm-hmm. and maybe get something from it. But you know, at this point, it, I, I just don't see. I, I I just don't see where they go at this point. It seems as though Dortmund are quite happy just to try and secure second place and then just crack on with next season. Yeah, but that's okay. First of all, you took my words straight out of my mouth saying, yeah, it's Gladbach. And like, um, they have so many issues there with Adi Hütter as well, right? And obviously with Max Eber leaving and uh, Ginter gone at the end of the season. And um, they are obviously in a place that's very difficult. So all of that got exposed. I mean, um, you had players come off the bench uh, and score against them at will, right? Um I mean, Marius Wolf scored. I think there is a lot to unpack um, at Dortmund. I do think that they... I mean, it's interesting how both Dortmund and Bayern have a lot of the same issues. Maybe with like the the difference being that like Dortmund is actually starting to address them, right? Like, I mean, they did go out and sign Sule making mm-hmm. the problem that Bayern Munich has, which is the same one, worse for them, which is, I mean, funnily enough, puts puts history, Bundesliga history, a little bit on its head. Um, yeah. And it's probably a good thing for this league, um, to be honest. But I don't think that's going to be quite enough. And I think we're now at a point to, um, where we have to ask, what are they going to do with Erling Haaland? Because... As good as he is, and he guarantees you a lot of goals, um, he also misses about... I mean, this year, I think it's 50% mm. that he's missed. And that's not getting better. Um, so is this like the point where you almost like hope someone triggers the clause in his contract and um, you take that money and you invest it into all these other areas in your squad? Because like I don't think like, as good as he is and as high as his market value is, there is a risk there that this is the highest point he will ever have. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, I have thought that myself the last couple of weeks. I dare not suggest it on Twitter for the wrath that would oh come. Oh my God, no, but, don't. <laughs> you know, if, if you're a Dortmund fan right now, you're looking at the squad and you have the opportunity that, and you know that Adeyemi's coming in the summer, which I think we could all yeah. but assume at this point. Um, who's a goal scorer? Who's a striker who thankfully looks better than Daniel Malin, who, God, God bless him, tries his heart out, but just can't seem to get anything right right now. Even his goal at the weekend, I think, was deflected. Um, but if you have, if you if you're safe in the knowledge that you already have Sula and Adeyemi coming in, do you cash in on no. Erling Haaland and spend that seventy or eighty million euros to try and fix that defense and bring in our defense midfielder in? And part of me wonders if that is what Dortmund are doing right now. They have been working away in the background. We know Sula's there. We know they've already basically tied up Adeyemi. Um, you know, if in the next couple of weeks or months we hear that they've signed a defence midfielder or they've already snapped up a fullback, does this mean that Dortmund are? Because if 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 that's that is the kind of smart way to go about it, you don't wait until you have the money in the bank for Haaland to yeah. then go shopping because then every club puts up the prices. You 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 sign all these players, then you cash in on Haaland, and then it all makes sense economically. So. Hey, maybe that's what Dortmund are doing. Maybe that's why they're a little cooler in the head than people would expect from the results. And maybe that's yeah. why Marco Rosa, because that's the kind of interesting thing as well, I find. In the press conferences, Marco Rosa doesn't look like a guy with his head on the chopping board. Maybe that's no. just, maybe, maybe I'm just misreading it, but it doesn't come across to me as a guy who's getting shouted at in the boardroom after every match right now. He looks like a guy who has been assured uh, that circumstances will be very different next season. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see what will happen. And I also think that uh, front three of Mukuku, Adeyemi, and Marlin suits Rose's style of play better than just one striker up front with Erling Haaland. Hmm. That's yeah. like sort of the distribution of goals to many on many shoulders, but also because like the I've actually liked what I've seen from Mokuku the last few games. Mm. Um, he's getting a little bit more playing time. Um, obviously, right after his agent has made a stink, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all of a sudden, he's playing. And he's I actually think he's playing well uh, when he's getting on. Um, you have to remember how young he is too, right? But mm. um, I actually think that front three would suit Rosa quite well. And I'm also thinking, like, there's this Ryan, like Ryan Gravenberg rumor with Bayern, but Gravenberg would be a great signing for Dortmund as well, mm. and he's in like that thirty million euro range, right? And he's nineteen and like ticks a lot of the boxes. I mean, boy, like there would be a lot of anger coming from the Sebener Straße if. Dortmund do this one as well. Um, and you, you're right. I mean, it feels like there's a plan. Um, and the, the thing is, too, like, as bad as they sometimes are, they usually rebound with a performance like this. And they're really only six points behind Bayern. And mm-hmm. Bayern, like, Bayern play Frankfurt next, and they play Leverkusen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it sounds crazy, but with the results going the right way, they could be even on points when the Classica comes around. So Yeah, exactly, which is exciting. Um, 
It's 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 an interesting one. I I think I maybe said this in the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, I'm trying to remember which game it may have been, but I actually said that Dortmund actually looked better set up defensively and tactically without Haaland in the side. Mm. Um, and you know, it 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 does seem to me as though Marco Royce does tend to pick up more goals and assists when Haaland isn't in the side. I'm I'm not entirely sure I would trust Mokoko and Malin next season. Um, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest with you, um, I still think Mokoko is still too a little too young. Malin is still learning his trade in the Bundesliga, and I also think Malin desperately looks like a player who needs to play off someone. So yeah. maybe Malin and Adeyemi can play up front, and then you have some sort of four four two position uh, formation because obviously you have to put Royce in there somewhere. Bellingham, I think, is becoming a more attacking player as well by the week. Mm-hmm. So. There's, there's definitely goals on this side without Haaland. Um, I think that's probably the you know, the, the overarching thing that has to be remembered, depending on what happens this summer. They, they, they still have goals on this side, and especially if Adeyemi comes in. Yeah. Um, but what they don't have is defensive structure. And I do wonder if we are now getting to the point where fans are beginning to think this. Maybe, maybe the club agreed this two months ago, and they've been working away on it ever since, that, you know, we can only get Niklas Sula if we agree to sell Haaland, for example. So, but we'll have to wait and see. It's something you and I can work away on in the background and try and mm-hmm. figure out as well. Uh, but it's 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 a very weird time for Dortmund right now. Very weird time indeed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, defensive structure. Um, funnily enough, the team that probably has the best defense now of the top teams is Leipzig. And I actually thought of all the games that I watched last week, the Leipzig-Real uh, Sociedad was the best game. Um, and I actually think Leipzig should have probably won that game. And I know we're talking about defenders and Guardiola. Um, with a little bit of a, like, a saga-do moment, <laughs> the <laughs> head ball in the box. I don't know what he was thinking. He probably was still trying to figure out what he was thinking himself. And I mean, we see this with very young centre-backs, that they make silly mistakes like that. Um, that said, Tedesco has put in a foundation, and we talked about that in the chat a little bit. And he's like, Tedesco has the reputation of being a little dull and playing dull football. Mm-hmm. But I think with the attacking pieces that Leipzig have, you don't really need to worry about teaching them attacking. You just need to worry about like putting in a defensive foundation, and then you just let them do the rest. And I think that's what Tedesco's done here. Mm. he's basically said okay well all i need to do all i need to teach this team is how to defend and Mm. the rest will take care of itself which is true that's exactly what's happening Mm. and i look at this squad they are so good like this team is so good could you imagine where they would be where if they had like tedesco from the beginning of the season (laughs) like the title race everything the entire league would look very different they're so Good. Like when I watched that Real Sociedad game, like when they click and when they unleash in Cuckoo, um, when they give, give him the room, like this goal, there's a goal against uh, Hertha where Pausen did like an absolute unbelievable assist in the box, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so good. They have all the pieces. And like this team, and I mean, there's a lot of rumors about Man United trying to get Nkunku, and I think it's been pretty widely reported that. None of the players have exit clauses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think they're going to sell anyone. And they're going to be really, really, really good next year. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of for my newsletter this week. I was looking into Leipzig's defensive stats, and it's really interesting when you kind of put up their xG against numbers. So this is the these are the the figures that their opponents rack up against them per game, and if you kind of catalogue or you you take from what from match day fifteen where Tedesco took charge, there's a there's a really steady drop in the opponents expected goals figures against Leipzig, and the only real tick upwards was against Bayern Munich a couple of weeks ago. And I've put it, I'm trying kind of put it into some perspective. So before Tedesco took over at the club, uh, Leipzig were averaging. 1.69 xG against per game. So that means their opponents were expected to score 1.7 goals per game um, based, on chan- based on their chances. Uh, and since then, they've only went over that number twice in the league. Uh, once was in their first league game back, or the first game under Tedesco, and then the second was obviously a couple of weeks ago against Bayern Munich. But the average has dropped to about 1.2. So it's dropped by about maybe a third. So they've, they're, now, they're now conceding 0.5 XG less per game under Tedesco, which obviously if people don't really follow stats or analytics, that just sounds like absolute gobbledygook. But I guess what the best way to describe it is that I guess the chances they're, they're letting teams have um, has fallen by almost maybe a third per game you know, goal scoring chances. Mm. And that obviously shows in the results, that shows in the goals they're conceding, and it shows in the performances, and you're absolutely spot on. Tedesco was a masterstroke to bring into the club because this team already knew how to play like the Harlem Globetrotters. Um but they didn't need they did they didn't need another coach to come in and say, guys, here's how you score goals. They needed a coach to come and say, This is how we stop conceding goals. This is how I get the best out of Guardiola. It's how I get the best out of you know all these defensive players that I've got, and that's exactly what he's done. And you're, and you're spot on. We're talking about. I think they've now picked up as many points as Bayern in the last six mm-hmm. league games now. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see how what they can do between now and end the season. Because whereas Dortmund look like an absolute mess and should probably bow out of the Europa League to save themselves further anguish, I'd fancy this Leipzig side to really take on any team in Europe at the moment. Which is exactly yeah. what they sh- it's exactly what they should have been at the start of this season. It's exactly what we hoped they would be under Jesse Marsh, but uh, that hasn't happened. And you know, hopefully, they can keep their players in the summer and they can really properly go into challenge for a title. Because uh, as we've just talked about already in this podcast, I think Bayern will be there for the taking, and I think Dortmund may be there for the taking as well if they don't spend their Erling Haaland money well. Yeah, I think like when you look at the table now. Leipzig have rolled up the field, right? Hmm. Uh, they're on 37 points. So are Hoffenheim and Freiburg. And uh, Köln are just two points behind them. But um, I think Leipzig are probably have an eye on Leverkusen now to maybe leapfrog them as well down the stretch and finish third, which would be a remarkable achievement considering how they started. Um, but I think they're, they're very good. And the thing is, too, with the, the Europa League result, a two-two draw would have been a disaster at home last week, last year. But now it's just, that's just a zero-zero now with Norway goals. Who cares, mm-hmm. right? They don't have to worry about anything. At the they just need to win. <laughs> like at the end of the day, even like a draw will get them into extra time, right? 
And that's just such a, such a different situation for them that, to be in. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting match. Um, and I think, yeah, you're quite right. I think Leipzig is a really good bet of going really deep in this competition if they dispatch Real Sociedad, which is not easy. I mean, Real Sociedad, I thought, were really good too. It's a really well-put-together team with some really mm-hmm. good players. Um, funnily enough, one of them actually are, is, a Le- is a Leipzig player, Alexander Sirlot, right? Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I think Leipzig is 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 one to watch, and Tedesco has done a marvelous job there to kind of put it all together, put put what is a really interesting team on a very strong foundation, and um, I just love I just love watching them right now. They had a ton of fun to watch, and I think the two, thing too, um, and Kunku is just brilliant, such a brilliant player, and he's there was. He's brilliant too because he's playing with guys around him that know how to set him into a scene. There was a mm-hmm. there was a moment when he like went one on one with Real Sociedad's keeper. Mm-hmm. He didn't score, but Olmo plays a pass that was just incredible, right? To like spring mm-hmm. him and like this is the thing with this team. Like, I don't think you need to teach them how to attack. You just tell them like uh, so. The back three does this. The two center midfielders do this, and the rest of you, you just do. You just be you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's probably what they should have done from the very beginning. I don't know. Like they went back. I think they almost like overemphasized the need for like having to become that counter pressing team again that they were previously. Nagelsmann. They really just needed someone who comes in and does the same thing that Nagelsmann did last year and Tedesco did that. Um, so I think that's, it, it was a masterstroke that probably came about a few months too late. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch them. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much covers us this week, Stefan. We did a quick one, mostly because I have to run. But <laughs> um, before we run, is there anything you want to like maybe point out? Um, you, you mentioned your newsletter. Of course, everyone should give that a read. And also, um, if you're listening still at this point of the podcast, please give us a review. That really helps as well. But yeah, is there anything else you want to point out? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a newsletter this week on Wednesday. I, it, it really depends how busy I am every week, but I try. I, I should have this one out this week, so keep an eye out on Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, keep listening to the podcast. Keep rating us. We always appreciate it. We mm-hmm. always appreciate the feedback as well. Awesome stuff. Well, we'll be back with a long episode next week. Um, And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.